I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to tune in today. This is your last opportunity to get my July 2022 special report titled Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. Uh, the report is available by visiting the website, requestyourreport.com. And when you visit the website, uh, all you need to do is let me know where to mail the report, and I'll mail you the report along with a box of stuff that will contain a copy of my best-selling revenue sourcing book, as well as some other bonus information that I think you'll find to be timely, uh, particularly for where the markets are this year and what has happened in the markets. Uh, if you aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement, I would especially encourage you to get your copy of this report. Uh, you can do so, again, by visiting the website, requestyourreport.com. Now, I hesitate to say I told you so, but on this particular program, that's exactly what I am going to do. I'm going to say I told you so, because here in January on the program, I told you that it was my strong belief that the United States was in a recession. Now, a recession is typically defined as two consecutive quarters of negative growth or two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. It seems that that is where we are today. And the primary culprit, in my view, is inflation. Now, there are a number of politicians and policymakers attempting to pass the buck on the actual cause of inflation, but make no mistake, inflation technically defined is an expansion of the currency supply, and one of the symptoms of inflation would be rising consumer prices. As inflation now has consumed more of the discretionary income of the American consumer, the American consumer, which drives more than 70% of the U.S. economy, has been unable to spend as they have in the past because more of their income is being consumed just paying for essentials, things that they have to have, like food and fuel. Now, Elizabeth Warren put an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal recently. Now, let me begin this conversation by telling you that I am not an Elizabeth Warren fan. That will probably become evident as I go through this information. Now, Ms. Warren was writing about inflation, and she said that, quote, inflation is a global phenomenon inflicting significant financial pain on families everywhere. Rising costs are an urgent problem, and interest rates pay, play a key role in maintaining price stability. But urgency is no excuse for doubling down on a dangerous treatment. And of course, Ms. Warren's idea of a dangerous treatment is raising interest rates. She goes on to, in her op-ed, quote what Jerome Powell has said in some of his testimony, noting that when Mr. Powell testified before the Senate Banking Committee in June, he noted that elevated interest rates likely wouldn't bring down gasoline or food prices. Ms. Warren went on to blame higher 
inflation and higher energy costs on Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. Well, the reality is that energy costs were rising long before there was a war in Ukraine. Ms. Warren also went on to talk about greedy corporate monopolies that are raising prices because they can, as if corporations became greedy just recently. The reality is that corporations can only charge what people are willing to pay. That's how a market economy works. And yes, we still have some semblance of a market economy. And these companies are raising rates because companies are in business and have a responsibility to their shareholders to make money. They didn't just suddenly become greedy. So Ms. Warren goes on to make the point that if you want to fight inflation, you really don't increase interest rates. You really don't stop currency creation. Instead, she notes, Congress should do its part. She said that we need to invest in high-quality, affordable health care. We need to invest in American manufacturing. The only problem with investing is that you have to have money to do it, Ms. Warren. If you don't have any money, you can't invest. And the crux of this currency creation problem that is creating this inflation is that the Fed has been largely the sole enabler of the deficit spending of the federal government. China's not lining up to buy U.S. government debt anymore. Japan is not lining up anymore to buy U.S. government debt. Instead, the Federal Reserve now owns owns more U.S. government debt than any other entity. So Ms. Warren's so-called cures would do nothing but add fuel to the inflationary fire. As a side note, she also wants to cancel student loan debt, which would again just fuel inflation. Now, Tom Luanjo, uh, who writes a blog called Gold, Goats, and Guns, interesting guy, had this to say about the narrative relating to a recession. He said, when all you have left is managing narratives, managing narratives becomes a full-time job. This is where the Davos crowd is today, just before the next Fed rate hike and just over three months out from the U.S. midterm elections. He said, it doesn't matter the subject anymore. Everything is managed, massaged, wheedled, or cajoled into a convenient definition which serves some aspect of the Davos agenda. Last week, it was blaming Russia for the West's financial problems, food and energy sources, shortages rather, forcing the ECB or the European Central Bank to raise rates. This week, we're going to be redefining a recession and shifting the blame for it to the Federal Reserve. The Biden administration is now redefining what a recession is. Here's what they had to say, quote, while some maintain that two consecutive quarters of falling real gross domestic product constitute a recession, that is neither the official definition nor the way economists evaluate the state of the business cycle. 
Now, that statement is, frankly, ridiculous. A recession for as long as I have been in this industry, which is more than three decades, has always been defined as two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. That's where we are. That is a recession, and you can call it something else, but it doesn't change where we are. This is still a recession. Now, in order to get inflation under control, it's going to cause some pain. Paul Volcker, when we last faced inflation like we're facing now in 1980, increased interest rates to nearly 20%. As I've discussed here on the program, the only way you get inflation under control is to have real positive interest rates. And right now, with inflation running officially at just under 10% and the 30-year U.S. Treasury bond yielding 3%, we have negative rates. In other words, if you were to invest and get 3%, Inflation running at 10% would get you a real return of a negative 7% per year. You don't get inflation under control until you give people and entities a reason to save money versus spend money. And we are a long way from that. I have said for a very long time, and I wrote about this in the New Retirement Rules book back in 2016 and the Economic Consequences book, As far back as 2011, shortly after the Federal Reserve started this temporary program of quantitative easing that has now turned into, not surprisingly, a permanent program. And I said that we would likely get inflation followed by deflation, and that is exactly where we seem to be heading. Look for the Fed, I believe, at some point in the future to reverse course. I don't believe it will be now, but I believe it will be sometime perhaps at the end of this year or sometime early next year. That will likely fuel more inflation. Now, as I close this segment, if you have not yet requested the July special report titled Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them, I would encourage you to request the report by going to requestyourreport.com Just let me know where to mail the report as well as the bonus information, and I will be very glad to do that. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Michael Oliver. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis, Mr. Michael Oliver. Uh, Michael is a very, very bright market analyst. He uh, recently published some terrific research I'm going to talk to him about. And, uh, Michael, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Dennis. So, Michael, for our listeners, maybe that uh, it's been about four months or so since you've been on the program, uh, give us just a little bit of background and uh, what does MSA do? Well, we're technical analysts, but we analyze markets uh, all major asset categories. It's the stock market, bond markets, commodities, and uh, foreign exchange. Um, and especially with an emphasis on gold lately. Um, but we don't just look at price charts. Most technicians reference price charts. We we look at them, but we usually measure price in relation to 
certain moving averages. And by that, I don't mean we overlay the average on the price chart, and if it crosses it, it's important or not important, because usually it's not important. We oscillate price versus a moving average. We end up with a momentum oscillator, okay? And it will create a technical trend vista that you can look at, just like a price chart, that often will be divergent from price. In other words, it will tell you something different than price is telling you. It might indicate oncoming weakness or oncoming strength well before price indicates the same. So we like it. We think it's a more valid way of technical analysis. And we tend to emphasize longer-term stuff. Uh, we're, not, we're not in there for you know, short-term day traders and stuff like that, but uh, we, we tend to look at investment grade particularly. And we think we're right now not <laughs> – in, I've been in, in the market since 1975 when gold was legalized. I worked for E.F. Hutton in New York, their headquarters. And uh, so, you know, almost 50 years. And I don't think we've ever been in a market situation across asset categories, not just one, not just stock market, but, but commodities, stocks, bonds, foreign exchange that we're in now. This is the most dangerous yet opportunistic situation that any investor has ever faced. And, you know, some things it's going to be dangerous, others it's going to be highly rewarding. And I think at the center of this uh, vortex of activity that's, that's about to erupt in big ways, uh, and it's only begun, is, are the central banks. And I think they have created a situation over the past decades, especially especially over the last dozen years, that portends very violent market action. Uh, and, and major directional movement. So people who are retired and have assets to either want to grow or protect, uh, this is a time to pay a lot of attention to what's going on. This is this is not just some normal market activity, a minor recession or something like that. There's, there's big stuff going on here. So, Michael, let's jump in because I want to talk about your report. And for anybody who would like to learn more about uh, Michael's work, you can go to olivermsa.com. That's O-L-I-V-E-R-M-S-A.com. Michael, talk about uh, gold prices. Gold prices don't seem to be behaving in the minds of many people the way they should be behaving with the level of inflation that we have. What's your take? Well, I, I we totally disagree with that. Um, first off, the definition of inflation that is popularly used is commodity inflation. In other words, if you don't have commodity prices going up, you ain't got inflation. Well, that's that's totally untrue. Inflation is the increase in the money supply. And if you go to the St. Louis Fed website and just type in M2 and you'll get a chart. And uh, we, we, we sent that chart out today for education of our subscribers uh, to inform them that we totally disagree with the popular notion, which, by the way, was in the Wall Street Journal today. It was a big article on gold, and that this notion was presented that how come gold is not going up when commodities are going up? Well, it doesn't correlate to commodities. Uh, we show a chart going back to 1999, for example, and uh, gold made a major low then in the 250 area. And, and, you know, since gotten up to 2000, okay? And then we overlaid a, a Bloomberg commodity index chart during that same period, and there's zero correlation between the two price charts. The Bloomberg commodity index is way below its 2008-2011 highs, and it's really more in the lower half of that past 20-plus year range, whereas gold has gone from the left lower corner of its chart to the upper right corner of its chart. So the two don't correlate. 
And in fact, if you, you go back to the 2008 period, if you recall, there was a sharp drop in the S&P in October of 2008, a year after it already made its high. And at that point, gold had a brief join-in sell-off with the stock market, but then turned and went from a low under 700 to 1,900-plus in the next two years, uh, 2009, uh, next three years, excuse me, 2009, 10, and 11. Uh, so it went up vertically. During that same time, commodities were a waste. In fact, they went down. So there's no correlation in that last major move in gold in commodity direction. And if you look at the recent move, gold went from low in two, late 2015 to a high in the summer of 2020 that doubled its price from 1050 to 2100 most of that move, or much of that move, occurred between a March 2020 price low, just above 1400, to over to 2100 to 2070, actually, in um, summer of 2020. Okay, and we're talking August of 2020. Gold made its high for that surge. Commodities were still in the hole at that point. Didn't even turn up until October 2020, and we put out a report saying there's going to be a commodity explosion. What happened for gold during that time since the summer of 2020 is it has pulled back several times to the same essential level, uh, under 1700, while commodities are going straight up. There's no correlation between them. Uh, the, the correlation is when you look at a money supply chart and a gold chart, and you go back to 1975 when gold was legalized, and you'll see that gold has had a 20-fold upward move, and M2 has had a 20-fold upward move. There's your correlation. So when you want to talk about inflation, talk about money supply, because quite often the money, money they print, the easy credit they create, doesn't go into commodities. It often goes into stocks or real estate, such as between 2009 and 2021, it went entirely into the stock market. That's where investors put that cash flow, that river flow of liquidity. They don't always do that. Sometimes they put it in commodities which is what we've seen this year. The commodities have gone up while the stocks have gone down. So anyway, but the gold correlation to commodities is not good, and it's a mistake to think about it that way. And, Michael, before we jumped on, you had mentioned that uh, you'd be glad to uh, send out a sample report to the listeners. And if you want to go to olivermsa.com and request uh, a sample report, uh, you'll you'll get a look at what Michael's talking about. So, Michael, what what is your forecast for gold moving ahead? Um, I think the real test right now is we measure the decline that we've seen since the March high. By the way, gold is right now down on the year $100. That's about 5 6%. That's much less down on the year than most asset categories around the world. Stock market is down much more than that. NASDAQ 100, much more than that. Uh, muni bonds, high-yield corporate debt, down much more than that. So gold is actually performing better year-to-date. Okay. Um, the question right now, everybody is assuming, even gold, afraid gold bulls, that gold is going to blow out the price range lows of the last couple of years, which was 1673 in March of 2021, last year. Also, in August of last year, there was a sell-off that got down under 17, down to 1670-something and held. And two weeks ago, gold got down to 1678 and turned up again. The question is, is that set of price chart lows going to be blown out as everybody thinks it will be, in which case all devastation will occur? Or 
even if it does, I'm quoting them, no, not my view. If we, even if we do break that low and create a spike downside move in gold, which I think the bears had better do it like yesterday, okay? <laughs> they better get it going right <laughs> Hurry now. Hurry it up, yeah. <laughs> now, they're going to do it like this month or early next year. They're not going to do it. And I think that would surprise more investors than if gold did break down through those lows to create a spike. Uh, that if it didn't, and frankly, our metrics show that uh, what I just said is that is the bears, if, if you're a bear, you better break those lows soon because most of the metrics we look at say this thing's ripe to turn up. Now, whether it makes a spike low in the low 1600s first or whether it doesn't, which would be a big surprise to most investors. And sometimes the big surprise to most investors is what happens. <laughs> uh, so we're on the fence right now. We're measuring gold for the upturn. We provide numbers every week to our subscribers of what numbers we need to see to be fairly convinced of the upturn underway. Uh, and I suspect it's going to happen soon. Uh, and then the other question is, well, where's gold going to go? I can't project how high gold might go because we're facing a crisis, as I said, that when this bubble on the stock market comes undone, like no other bubble in U.S. stock market history in terms of how high it went over a period of time, the real-world effects, impact of that, the metrics, the so-called, quote, data points that the Fed looks at, are going to go disastrous. And therefore, the question is, is the Fed really going to maintain a tough policy, or are they suddenly going to get marshmallowy here? And it'll be very interesting to see their statement tomorrow after they raise three-quarters of a point, which is a general consensus, whether they say, we're going to get data-sensitive again, meaning we're going to sit on our hands because we see cross currents here. You bet you do. Uh, and the cross currents are very negative and they're going to get worse and worse. Most of those data points are much delayed to real reality out there. Uh, so then the question is, okay, well, what does gold do with that? Well, it means the money supply ain't going to quit growing. Therefore, monetary inflation is going to continue, in which case that correlation will continue. Well, Michael, we've got about a minute left in this segment. Would you say that silver will follow gold? Yep. Silver is a nasty wild child, just like the gold miners are. They have broken down below the March 2021 20, reaction low, both in it was around 21 and a half on silver. And for the, most of the gold mining ETFs, they made a low similarly, and they've since uh, over the last few months broken below that, Well, whereas gold is not. So mama hasn't broken this the obvious price chart level, whereas the miners and silver have had a tantrum. Now, if gold is not going to actually go into a big bear market, which so many people think, and we don't, uh, instead it's going to fool people, and it's focused on the Fed, not commodity prices, uh, then these other guys, the babies, the ch children, the silver, the gold miners, which are vastly oversold right now, are at a slingshot opportunity levels. Regardless of how negative the price charts look on those markets, most of the momentum charts we're watching say they are vastly oversold and they could vortex out of here. The question is, watch gold. Because if gold turns, they will turn, but they'll turn like slingshots. Why? Because they're far more oversold than gold is. Well, my guest today uh, is Mr. Michael Oliver. Uh, you can learn more about his work at OliverMSA.com. You can also request some sample reports, which they'll be glad to send you. Uh, I'll continue my conversation with Michael when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis, Mr. Michael Oliver. Uh, you can learn more about Michael's work at OliverMSA.com. And uh, Michael, in the last segment, you said something that uh, I made a note of because I wanted to be sure to ask you about it when we got to this second segment. And you said that if this bubble in stocks starts to unwind, or maybe you said when it starts to unwind, the consequences are going to be devastating. I know I'm paraphrasing you, but I'm sure there are listeners out there saying, wait a minute, stocks are down 20% year to date. Are you saying this bubble has further to go? What would you say to them? Uh, I think it's just begun. And we got bearish on the NASDAQ 100 as of January's close of this year, well above current prices. And on S&P is February close of this year. They both broke, not in price, but on our annual momentum studies, broke massive support structures, indicating the onset of a bear market. Uh, we're not measuring them week to week, month to month. This is annual momentum. So we're talking about a 12-year-plus bull market that went vertical on the S&P, seven-fold increase due to monetary policy and credit, and 16-fold increase in the NASDAQ 100. Those sort of bull markets you've never seen in the history of the United the, the 1923 through 1929 bull market in the Dow, uh, the dot com quote bubble that peaked in 2000, or let's say the real estate, uh, primarily real estate and financial bubble that peaked in 2007, and all followed by bear markets, were emotional and economic wipeouts for many people on the other side of those events. Those were bear trends. They generally last a couple of years. They don't last six months. Okay, uh, Normal bear market is of that type. Um, and we expect this to last another couple of years. We think it has only just begun. We think rallies are for selling. We thought that this rally would sustain longer than prior rallies we've had this year, most of which on the S&P, if you go back and look, were two to three, four-week spikes upside, and then they collapse again. The longest one was four weeks. We're now into the sixth week. Pardon me, I think we're into the seventh week since the recent lows. So this one is older, and we thought it would last longer, and therefore convince more people that, oh, this one's different. It's not. It's just going to sustain a little longer. Uh, it wasn't that potent in price, actually. And we think there may be some more upside, it's, it's, but it's not important from an investment point of view. The major thing to take away from our work, and we'd be happy to provide some recent reports that explain the, the full context here, is that these are massive bubbles created by central bank largesse that lasted longer than any other liquidity flows and credit at effectively zero interest rates for years. They created a bubble in an asset category, narrowly in uh, certain bonds and, and U.S. stock market primarily, uh, even more so than European or Japanese markets. They, they didn't have anything like what we've had. So when it comes unwound and the errors are exposed, errors of economic judgments, investment judgments that people, corporations make, when those errors are exposed and you start to unfold, the unraveling will be deep and prolonged. It will not be brief. Uh, and so we have a very negative view of the, not just the stock market, but the economic consequences that will follow it. Already Bank of America, and we'll go with them as opposed to the federal government, thinks we're already in the second, uh, second quarter of recession, period. Uh, we fully agree. 
and we think the data points that are lagged to reality that the Fed likes to watch, like unemployment and so forth, will suddenly begin to show that evidence. Again, lagged reality. Uh, what's going on in Europe is we're not just we're not unattached to Europe and Japan. We're all part of the same economy. We're global economy. We're even connected to China. So what happens to them affects us. Well, Europe is already in a recession. And with the energy crisis they're facing, which is also going to start to pinch us this winter, I think, uh, with natural gas, uh, their natural gas crisis is going to shut their economies down even more so. And if you don't think that's going to have an effect on us, you're in another world. So the depth of the economic reality of this downturn will begin to show in the data points. The stock market led the way, as it usually does, and then the data points follow. And the, the important takeaway from all that is, whenever this has happened before, what has the central bank done? They've gone the other way. And so the Fed, in their effort to, quote, break commodity inflation, and really what they broke is the stock price inflation trend of the prior dozen years with their pen brick of the bubble, uh, is they've generated a downturn that will show itself in economic reality in ways that they have to come back and do their job the other way, which is to say support essential bond markets, community bonds, corporate bonds, U.S. government bonds, and try to support the stock market. And that means that that money supply growth is going to go up again, continue up, which is gold's main parallel universe is the money growth. And it's going to impact many investments in different ways, but in major ways. So I think we're in a situation now that is unique historically. It's going to be major, and many of the wave effects of that market situation have yet to hit reality in terms of our everyday life. And when they do, that's when all kinds of things can happen. So, Michael, do you, see, do you see asset prices like, like stocks and real estate declining while we see consumer price, consumer items and energy uh, costs rising? I mean, are you yes. looking for like yes. a stagflation? That, that can outcome? easily happen. It happened in the uh, stag, quote, stagflation of the late 70s, which is a term economists had to invent because they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't realize that inflation is really monetary growth. And, uh, and, and it happened at that time where commodities had been cheap and gold was down to $103 after having hit 200 in 1975. So in 1976, it was down to 103. And what did it do? It went up to 850 between 1976 and 1980. Not because the stock market went up. No, the stock market was a wasteland. Nobody made any money there. It was up and down, going nowhere. But commodities then followed gold up. And gold peaked first early in 1980 and commodities late in 1980. Again, gold was the leader. And the issue was, what does the government do when they face economic downturn? Well, they had one then, and they tried to stimulate, but the stimulus went where? Not into the stock market. Investors put it into gold and put it into commodities, primarily gold and silver. Uh, and I think that's what we're facing again here. And I think smart investors like Ray Dalio, I quote him, he's about six months ago said, uh, Quit looking at the price of the, your stock. Pay attention to the underlying value of your money, meaning it's being degraded rapidly. Uh, and therefore, you know, 
look for things that protect you from that degradation. And gold is one that historically does. So, Michael, how and when might this degradation, to use that term, stop, in your view? The you mean the stock market or the uh, the the just the, the 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 currency being devalued? I mean, oh, is this, well, no, is this... I don't. I think that uh, this is a, a futuristic type uh, chaos theory view. It wouldn't surprise me in the next five years you don't have a Federal Reserve anymore. And by that I mean you know the Federal Reserve's not been here forever. It's been around a hundred years. There's some humans been around as long as that. Okay, it was a uh, hundred years ago, uh, and ever since they've been here, boom bust cycles have occurred. You know, they've been smaller than the one we've just had, the boom. Uh, but they're always created by a central bank stimulating and then having to regret that they did. And then when it starts to bust, then they have to come back and stimulate again. It's an ongoing process. And the problem now is they've created a bubble that's so big that when it breaks, the real world impact, the metrics, the quote, data points, will force them to go back to what they do well, which is print, print, print buy government bonds by printing money uh, and, and to support the, the government. I mean, you, you could have a real tax problem next year. You know, this past year, there was a lot of capital gains tax paid because that's 2021. It's when the market topped. All of a sudden, now you get a year where capital gains won't be an issue. That revenue ain't going to the government or to municipalities. Uh, so the Fed's going to have to come in and defend these asset categories. And in the defense of that, they're going to have to do what? Use monetary <coughs> flows and ease credit again, and also use their balance sheet aggressively. Well, Michael, so, I, for one, would be uh, not disappointed to see the, the Fed end, but, but should that happen, do you see uh, you know, somewhere in the world that we go back to a, a gold exchange standard yes, as far absolutely. as currency? In fact, it wouldn't surprise me that the Chinese do it first or somebody else does. I don't think we'll be the leader in that regard, but it would not surprise me to see some other major country uh, <clears throat> issue a gold-backed currency. And uh, it's suddenly become somewhat contagious because it seems to work once they do it. Uh, we need something like that, where money is not fabricated overnight by the wishes of status, but it's uh, backed by something that is, uh, you know, can't be expanded overnight by will, uh, such as gold. And uh, I think that is highly likely to occur. And uh, I think there's probably already many economists out there, some of whom are already gold-biased, favored anyway, but others who aren't, who are realizing that, you know, this, this boom-bust cycle thing is ongoing. Is it, is it natural or is it synthetic, created by the policies of central banks? And I think they're making the connection now and realizing that, uh-oh, you know, that's where, that's where it's come from. And so all it takes is a few intellectuals uh, in the economic world saying, hey, you know, this hasn't worked, guys. This has not worked. And they've just created the biggest bubble in history, and now it's bursting. So we can't do it again. We need something else. And I think there's a high likelihood that it wouldn't even surprise me that uh, some states in the United States issue gold-backed currencies of their own. I think Texas is already uh, considering that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so those sort of revolutionary actions, in effect, against, revolts against fiat currencies uh, is something to watch for. I think it's a likely reality to occur, especially as this crisis worsens, where people look back and say, you know, we could have avoided this. Yeah, for sure. Well, my guest today, Mr. Michael Oliver, the website is Oliver MSA. If you go to the website, uh, you can request some sample reports, and uh, Michael has said he would be happy to send those out. 
And uh, Michael, uh, always a pleasure to uh, have you on the program today. Appreciate you joining us and love to have you back down the road. We will. Dennis, thank you very much. (laughs) We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to Mr. Michael Oliver for joining me on today's program. If you're just tuning in, today is the last opportunity for you to get the July 2022 special report titled Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. I'd love to send you the report, including some bonus information that will include my revenue sourcing book that was a bestseller when it was released, and it contains uh, retirement planning strategies for you to consider for today's economy. You'll also get uh, some recent newsletters and a lot of other bonus information. This information is free without any future obligation. All you need to do to get your information is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send you all that important information. So let's talk a bit about this whole notion of the United States being in a recession. At the beginning of the first segment, I noted that in January of this year, I thought that the U.S. was in recession. And certainly when you look at the recent economic data, that seems to confirm that. Uh, There was an article published on Zero Hedge on July 22 that said, uh, U.S. PMI crashes into contraction in July. The subhead was titled, A Worrying Deterioration in the Economy. Now, what is PMI? For those of you that are not familiar with PMI, PMI is Purchasing Managers Index. And the Purchasing Managers Index really tracks economic activity. And it tracks this economic activity in a couple different categories, in services and in manufacturing. You might say in goods and in services, And when you look at the contraction that has occurred and you look at the short period of time over which the contraction has occurred, it's really shocking. So, for example, if you look at services, the manufacturing, the PMI number in April of 2021, so let's call that 15 months ago, was 70, 70. It was 70 in April of 2021. It is presently 47. That is a decline of about 30%. So business activity in the services sector is down about 30% in the last 15 months. That sounds like a recession to me. And if you look at manufacturing... In the last 12 months, the number has gone from 63 to 52, which is about a 20% decline. So in a year, we have a 20% decline in manufacturing, a 30% decline in services. That seems like a big deal to me. Well, not just to me, but Chris Williamson, who is the chief business economist at S&P Global Market Intelligence, had this to say. He said the preliminary PMI data for July point to a worrying deterioration in the economy. Excluding pandemic lockdown months, output is falling at a rate not seen since 2009 amid the global financial crisis. We haven't seen economic 
deterioration. We have not seen economic contraction like this since 2009 amid the global financial crisis. That's why there are some in Washington who want to redefine what a recession actually means. Manufacturing, Mr. Williamson says, has stalled. And the service sector's rebound from the pandemic has now gone into reverse. Higher interest rates are hurting and growing gloom about the economic outlook now is the dominant perspective. An increased rate of order book deterioration with backlogs of work dropping sharply in July reflects an excess of operating capacity relative to demand growth and points to output across both manufacturing and services being cut back further in coming months unless demand revives. So Mr. Williamson is saying, look, this contraction is just getting started. Unless demand revives, you're going to see further contraction, a further contraction in manufacturing and in services. Now, how is demand going to revive when the average consumer is tapping out credit cards to make ends meet? And for those of you that wonder what the actual numbers are, how much are people actually falling behind? There was a graph published by Real Investment Advice uh, that did some research. And at the beginning of calendar year 2022, at the beginning of the year, the average American had a deficit, an operating deficit of about $4,500 on an annualized basis at the beginning of the year. So at the beginning of 2022, the average American was going to go in the hole $4,500 by the end of the year. So if you wonder why credit cards are getting bigger balances, if you're wondering why credit card debt has doubled this year, that's why. Now that was at the beginning of 2022. The average American family was down $4,500 when you take a look at income and expenditures. But now... Here we are, about six months later, seven months later, arguably. That deficit is now $6,350 on an annualized basis. It's gone from $4,500 to $6,350. That's almost a 50% increase in the deficit that the average American household is facing. That's a big number. That is a huge number. And it's no surprise that we're seeing contraction and, as Mr. Williamson notes, with companies' expectations of future growth slumping to the lowest since the early days of the pandemic, any such revival in demand is not being anticipated. Instead, firms are already reassessing their production and workforce needs, resulting in slower employment growth. That is very typical of what one one finds in a recession. Now, as I talked about in the first segment, it's my view the Fed will ultimately reverse course and likely reduce interest rates, although probably not immediately. The market agrees with me. There is now a rate cut priced in for the first quarter of 2023. If that happens, 
expect that we will see more inflation. You can't avoid this cycle, which has repeated itself many times throughout history. Whenever you have inflation as a result of currency creation, it is followed by deflation and recession or depression, and that is the track on which we now find ourselves. I'd like to offer you some free information to help you navigate what might lie ahead. It's my July 2022 special report titled Five Investing Myths and Mistakes and How to Potentially Avoid Them. To get your copy, just visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. When you visit the website and let me know where to mail the report, I will mail you that as well as some bonus information. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.